0: Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And Lord, this is a a weighty passage. Lord, we come before you reverently and in awe of you being God. Lord, we pray that you would help us work through this passage. And it's in Christ's good name that we pray. Amen. I. I was tempted to, 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 to read on um, the next verse in chapter 2, verse 1, says this. Therefore, I was tempted and I succumbed to the temptation. <laughs> uh, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge one another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things if you're visiting us welcome you came on a if this is your first time you came on a very difficult day um we go through the bible sort of a book at a time and we're working through romans and for those of you that haven't been here for the last few weeks i do want to, to back up a little bit and and to give the overview of what's happening in this section paul in the first 17 verses of romans Uh, is is his introduction he he's writing from corinth modern-day greece to a people in rome a a people that he's never been to there's a church there he wants a relationship with them he would like to get there to share the gospel to help them in their journey with christ ultimately he wants to poise himself to be supported by that church so that he can get to the outermost part of the world which was spain at the time and so he was hoping to make a stop in rome and he was going to allow them to basically fund the rest of his trip to go to the outermost part of the world. He never made it. Uh, as we come to this section, uh, I, I, let me back up. In verses 16 through 17, as Paul is giving his heart to go to them, what he says is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, according to Paul's writing in First Corinthians chapter 15, Is that the gospel is that Jesus died according to the scriptures for your sins, for my sins. That he was buried and that on the third day he rose according to scriptures. And through that act, his sacrificial act on the cross, that's the gospel. And that believing in that, we have eternal life. So Paul writes, he says, for I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power or the dynamic of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for two reasons. First, in the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everybody, whoever believes. It's not about works. It's not about good deeds. It's that God loves humanity so much that he was compelled to to, to repair this divide that sin has caused. And Christ came and he lived the perfect life. He lived under the law perfectly. Nobody was able to do this. Only Christ because he's God. And then he went to the cross. He that knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And he was nailed there. The weight and the wrath of God was placed upon him. And this righteousness of his is credited to us through faith. Which he says is the second part, that it's by faith that we're restored to God. Our economy tells us that if you want to get right with somebody, you have to pay them back. And certainly there's no issue of paying back, for we could never pay back to God what God has done for us. And as verse 18, what we looked at last week, as he talks about the righteousness of God being revealed, he mentions that the wrath of God is being revealed the wrath of god his perfect holiness requires sacrifice to be made for sin because he cannot expose himself to sin and as i read through this passage today these these 24 through 32 i went to public school so 8 verses speaking of these 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 sins these things that separate us these these things that are worthy of death these are significant So often the church gets sort of wrapped around homosexuality and we skim over the other ones. I had you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and I want us to see the personal touch. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul writes in a similar manner. He addresses some of the very same issues. He says, or do you not know that that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In Romans, he expands upon this list. He goes on to say, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, filled, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, They are, I just want to slow down, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. We'll pause long and slow on this one for the parents. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Don't look at that list and, and, and think of others. I, I want us to look at that list and think of yourself. I, I know that as I read that list, I get my kind of nailed to the wall on more than one of those issues. In verse 11 of First Corinthians chapter 6, as he concludes this list, he says to them, Such were some of you. As he looks at those who have placed their faith in Christ at the church in Corinth, the place where he writes Romans from, as he looked across this land where there was all sorts of immorality, and he looks at the called out ones, those that have put their faith in Christ, and he says, such were some of you. And in this room, as we read this list between Romans and Corinthians, I know I can confidently say, such were some of us. I know I was. I did something during the last service, Told Anna I was going to do it. She said I was crazy. But what I want us to do is if any one of those items in that list identif- that you identify with, would you just please stand? <laughs> you don't have to if you don't want to, but. Uh... <laughs> okay. Now I just want everybody to kind of look around. Don't be afraid to look. <laughs> Like, it's, it's most of us. And if they're not standing, it's not necessarily because they don't identify. It's, there's other reasons. And, and the reason I do this is Paul writes personally. No, keep standing. Keep standing. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I got a stink eye. Oh. <laughs> it is high. Um, I want us to keep standing. And the reason I had us do this is to look around. We're not coming into this section with critical hearts or judging others. The, we're coming into this section the next part of verse 11 i have it up on the slide i want us to read this together such were some of us but we were washed but we were sanctified but we were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and in the spirit of our god amen you guys can be seated We read this with the same spirit and attitude of John Bradford, who was executed, burned at the stake in 1555. He was in the Tower of London, and he could look out, and he could see criminals being led to their execution. And he'd often say, as he watched these criminals being executed, he said, there but for the grace of God goes John John Bradford. And so our hearts i'm a total sinner apart from the grace of god and the spirit of god working in my life you guys don't want to know gunner i would be in chains in prison for for things that i i would have done had not uh, god's grace intervened in my life and so when we come to this passage of romans which is a terribly difficult not difficult in the sense to understand you can go back to romans it's difficult in that it cuts against our culture there are there are groups that would seek to have churches basically lose their their tax exemption for preaching such passages for uh, it it's not politically correct and I don't give and I don't preach and we don't church for a tax exemption i teach because i believe that this is god's revealed word and i have an obligation to teach it faithfully and if you're joining us today and you're jumping in, this this fits in the bigger picture and i hope that i can handle this great gracefully i'm guilty of many of these things in this passage it's not to isolate any one particular group and as we begin with verse 24 I'll get one word into it. It says, therefore. Hmm. When we see a therefore in the scripture, we have to ask, why is it there? What is it? What is it? Therefore, therefore is a little Christianese. And so often we have to go back. What's the context? How come he said, therefore, what, what happened to lead to what he's about to say? Well, if I finish the sentence, it says, therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. So we see this exchange. Last week I told the story of my wonderful fantasy football paralysis. I don't know if I used the right word. This was my best year ever, and I came in like not in last place, but pretty close to the bottom. Early on, the Chargers had won a game. It was very early on. <laughs> Philip Rivers had this magnificent game. <laughs> that one game, we all know which game. <laughs> and yet in fantasy football, I had Tom Brady, who is like one of the greatest quarterbacks, especially fantasy football-wise. And I thought, you know what? I bet I can sucker whoever it was into giving me Philip Rivers for Tom Brady. What a sucker. So I offered Philip Rivers. I mean, I offered Tom Brady in exchange for, for for Philip Rivers, and it went it went through like right away. He gave it to me, and I remember I texted Dan. I said, "Dan, can you believe it? The knucklehead gave me Philip Rivers for Tom Brady." And his text was very funny, kind of going like, "You did what? You exchanged the greatest, one of the greatest quarterbacks, fantasy-wise, with numbers for Philip Rivers." Well, it could be a good season. Well, it didn't go that way. And and I see this. There, they said that they had this. They had the incorruptible God, the greatest of all, and yet they exchanged this perfect God for an incorruptible God for idolatry. If we back up to verse eighteen, it talks about that the the wrath of God is revealed, and the reason that this wrath—not the Greek word thumos, which is a word that means like a, an explosion of anger, uncontrolled, just at any moment could just snap. This is orge, a controlled anger, a, a word that was used to describe uh, f- fruit coming, coming from the ground as, as it began to, to grow throughout the season, as water went into it. Eventually, if you didn't pick it, the, the fruit would split because so much water had been put in there. And so it's this slow, deliberate sort of wrath. And Paul writes of this wrath, I think, because in the cross, you have the righteousness of God commingled with the wrath of God. You have the righteousness of Christ, perfect under the law. And yet God's holiness requires his wrath to be poured out onto the perfect lamb. If you or I were a substitute for Christ on the cross, it would accomplish nothing. Because the wrath that would be poured out would be due us. It was not due Christ. And in verse 20, as he's talking about the wrath, he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. He's speaking of general revelation that when you look out and you see the mountains, you see the ocean. Gods revealed himself in these that is eternal power invisible attributes divine nature that when we look out it's like man there's god had somebody something greater than man had to create all of this stuff but he said that man suppressed or pressed down this truth and they exchanged what was known about the true god and exchanged it for a lie this whole issue of idolatry is the first couple verses now, idolatry, I don't know about you guys. I was a big Brady Bunch fan. The last service it sort of my illustration didn't really go over well. But there's the great Brady Bunch episode. It was a two-parter. They took the family vacation to Hawaii. Anybody with me? Anybody? Nobody? Like one person, like a couple of people are shy. And they found the little idol, right? And he wore it as a necklace. And one of the kids, man, he like wrecked surfeit he got all scraped up and all of this bad stuff started happening to the family and it was all because this little this little trinket that he was wearing around his neck that's what i think of when i think of idolatry and in our culture we don't really yeah, there's not a whole lot of idolatry like that now there's a book that was written by Tim keller it's called counterfeit gods i haven't read it but i highly recommend it and the reason i own it <laughs> it's, it's on my to-do list It's really small. And the reason I can recommend it is because my father-in-law read it. And my father-in-law, whenever he reads a book that's really good, he tells everybody about it. So I feel like I know the book really well. And it's talking about idolatry in our culture, how we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And in the book, one of the things he says is this. Counterfeit gods always disappoint and often destructively so We think that idols are bad things, but it is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. And so when we look at idolatry this way, it's a whole lot easier. Anything, our children, our bank accounts, whether you have a lot of money or not a lot of money, shows where your heart is because if you don't have a lot of money you think oh if i only had more money then i would be good to go but the bible tells us that god will provide for us and that's where our hope is whether we have little or a lot our health there are many things the house we live in our cars these are things that god can bless us with but when we take our eyes off of the one who blesses and put it on the the stuff then our stuff becomes our gods and here Paul writes, as he's laying out his discourse for the wrath of God, the number one issue is idolatry. And so from idolatry, that that they exchange God. All through this passage, what I, I, what I don't see is that man's doing his own thing, and God's up there basically going, yeah, I'm angry with them, I'm going to just cut them off just because of this anger. Over and over again, what's said is, Man, humanity rejected God. Humanity denied God. Humanity walked away from God. And then three times as man walks away, therefore God gave them over. He let them go. So this giving them over is a divine abandonment. Last week I talked about in our whole culture. We used to be a culture, one nation under God. But now there's great appeals to have that phrase, taken off our money, taken out of our courts, uh, taken out of our schools, taken out of the Pledge of Allegiance. As we've walked away from God, then whenever a tragedy happens, the first thing we ask is, where was God in all of this? And I thought Mike Huckabee, who is a pastor, and I'm quoting him as a pastor, not as a, as a politician. He said, we've so cut God out of our culture, yet when something happens, we say, where's God? And we say, well, we, we've cut him out. And so there's this abandonment of God and God gave them over this judicial abandonment, this letting them go. This sense of what a judge would say when a prisoner was condemned for whatever his crime. That you have been found guilty and you're going to prison. It's a talk about all of the wind coming out of your sails and a hopelessness. Verse 26, for this reason. What's the reason? Idolatry. We're going from idolatry. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons a due penalty of their error. This is section number two of God's abandonment. We're going to look at a third section, but looking at this one, I can't help to ponder. But like, why did why did Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Romans, why would homosexuality be listed? He writes from Corinth. He's writing to Rome. In Corinth, many of the idol Uh, the the idolatry was connected around temple prostitution. Homosexuality was rampant. Um, One commentator says this, dealing with homosexuality. It says in this section, Paul describes the practice as shameful, unnatural, indecent, and as a perversion by contrast to the Greco-Roman society of Paul's day, uh, tolerated homosexuality with considerable ease among some advocates it was viewed as superior to heterosexuality barclay notes 14 out of the first 15 roman emperors were homosexuals so it was it was widespread certainly the 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 believers in rome who were greeks and gentiles were wondering what's paul's stance on this issue how are we supposed to engage culture with homosexuality and i and I appreciate it's a little bit easier the second service than the first service. I I got to my notes and all the notes. I'm like, well, I know I'm going to talk about it, but I, I don't know what I'm going to say. So I kind of tap danced through it. I had a lot of good conversations in between services. But the thing that really jumps out at me in this, Paul simply describes it as they've exchanged. Ah, this we've we've heard this word already in his writing. Exchange. First, it was exchanging the. The image of the, the incorruptible God with a corruptible image made in man's eyes. This, this this exchange from the true God to idolatry. And so now we see exchange come up again from, from the natural function to, to that which is not natural. It was widespread. Certainly they had questions about it. And here Paul, if we go down to verse 32... He identifies it as a sin. Worthy of death, along with the other ones. And There's a problem with the church when we isolate this one thing, but we let all of these other sins slide. In the the bigger picture of, of this section, Paul is trying to show that all of humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have to keep that in mind. To the Jewish mind, they would not be so laxidaisical or, or understanding about this this cultural um action of homosexuality. In Leviticus eighteen twenty two, we're not going to read it. In the law we're told that homosexuality, that the act of homosexuality, it doesn't say homosexuals, it says when a man sleeps with a man or a woman sleeps with a woman, it's an abomination leviticus 20 13 says that it's detestable and that it requires the death penalty severe so the jewish mind would have been detestable and here in rome which we said the very first week is you have this influx in the the early church it's composed of both gentiles and romans that that it was predominantly a jewish church but then as uh the the emperor before nero who i'm blanking on his name when he kicked out all of the jews from rome then the gentile church began to explode when nero came in the jews were allowed to go back and so you have this this influx of population of jews and gentiles this would have been a point of contention and so paul handles it and when i Well, let's, well, yeah, I'll just go with what I'm going to say. I'll go with the spirit on this one. This is a very difficult text. Be thankful that you're down there and I'm up here. (laughs) What I see in application is all through the scripture. And there's no way to tiptoe around it when homosexuality, the act of homosexuality is described, it's described as a sin. There's no way to sidestep it. I wish that I didn't have to discuss this, but because we go through a book at the time, I have to address it. Now, with that being said, it's described as a sin, I believe, because it ties into first, it ties into idolatry with Paul's writing. And then the natural order, if we go back to Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through whatever it says up there 31 which i'm not going to do when god creates everything he comes to creating humans and humans are distinct from creation and that when he created them he said or created us that i'm one of them i just want to make sure that i get that for the record that that when humanity was created we're distinct from the rest of creation and that we were created in god's image And then as man and woman, or whoa, man, (laughs) were created, that they were told to be fruitful and to multiply. And then as we get to the end of chapter 2, God says he looked at his creation and he said it was very good. Now, this week I went to a creation seminar, not because I wanted to, but for other reasons. And one of the guys pointed out something in that passage about it being very good that struck me. Now, Jesus in the Gospels, he's approached by a man who says, hey, good teacher, I have a question for you. And Jesus stops him in his tracks and he says, why do you call me good? For no one is good. Only God is good. And then the guy kind of tiptoes and Jesus is making the case that he's God. It's okay that he called him good, but he just wanted to make sure that when you call me good, you understand what you're saying. Now, when we go back to the end of Genesis chapter 2, and God says it was very good. That's what God said. That's the world without sin. It's before the fall. He looked at it, and it was a beautiful thing that man and woman created. Not just just sex for, for procreation, but it was enjoyment. It's something beautiful that God created. And yet man has suppressed the truth. Not only about what creation's revealed, but about our sexuality. And turned something that God has created to be very beautiful in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. They've exchanged that truth for this lie. And the Bible makes it clear that no matter how loving or how committed the relationship is in a homosexual union, the Bible describes it. As no other way other than sinful. I can't get around that. And it, and it comes with great pain to say these words. I have a family member who I love dearly. Who is gay. Who is under the state of California married to their partner. And now through artificial means there's now a child within this relationship. And it can be terribly complex. Last week, or last week, last service, it's, when I got to this point trying to describe the complexity, I'm just like at a loss. Like, there's, I just fail to, to find words to, other than it's terribly complex and bewildering. How do we navigate this? Well, if I believe that the Bible, not what I believe, what the Bible clearly reveals is sin, the second point I want to make is. That God loves homosexuals deeply. That when Christ died on the cross, every sin that was committed by all people, it was nailed to the cross. And I assure you that I don't stand, and neither does this church, with Westboro Baptist that holds up there with signs that says God hates facts. That is absolutely unbiblical. That absolutely does not reflect who God is. We know God is loving. And so this complexity with the reality that God loves homosexuals. God sent his son to pay the price for the sins of homosexuals. Somewhere in that we as the church. The only reason we stand here is by grace. That we all just stood and acknowledged our sinfulness, at least in this church. And so the issue isn't about judging. There's, there's tension. And I don't have all this is where I don't have the answers. So if anybody can counsel me later and give me. Some. So, so, so being loving and loving the one who's in sin in, the, in this particular case, homosexuality, and yet standing for the truth of God, there's tension there. I've had other people say, well, I have this relative and they're they're gay and they're having their wedding. And I'm terribly torn about should I go to the wedding or not? And because I'm the pastor, you know, I have God's, you know, direct line of communication, not (laughs) total tongue in cheek. All I can say is that's a terribly complex situation. I've been there and I don't know I'll be praying for you. And I could see the person going either way. And I've seen Uh, journal articles be written kind of giving pros and cons and it's terribly difficult but moving on to the more difficult stuff all all i can say is i know two things i know that homosexuality the bible reveals it as a sin i'm not better than the one that's caught in that sin for i got plenty of my own garbage that is all (laughs) worthy of death and I know that God loves those who are actively engaged in homosexuality. And that we've also been commissioned as God's ambassadors to go out and to love on them. And I do want this church to be a place that if you're a homosexual person and you're visiting, I, sh- I sure hope that you're loved in this place and that you're not judged and you're not condemned for your actions. Because I know that God does love you. And with that, we'll move on to getting this all nailed up against the wall here. Verse 28. And they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Again, humanity's rejection of God. They no longer acknowledged him. They put him down. They shoved him in the corner. And I love that, that God gave them over. He's not forcing any one of us to love him, to respond to him. As we get to Romans chapter 2 just next week or two weeks from now, He says, don't think light or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God's not over there like cracking the whip on us. He's loving on us, trying to help us to see how much he loves us and his rules, his instructions, what he's revealed. It's it's for our best interest. did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to to a depraved mind. Now, this word depraved, some have said, like, the, the, the depravity of man doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. It means that we're as bad off as we could be. So we can always get worse. Our sinful state can always take us down to a more brutal and ruthless road. But our depravity, our, our condition, our standing with God apart from Christ can't get any worse. We are totally separated from him. And this idea of a depraved mind, it, it jumped out to me. In explaining the Greek word, somebody used the illustration of somebody who was, were, was a machinist or a woodworker. And the idea of that when you're doing a project and you're sawing logs or you're cutting steel or you're doing whatever, there's always scrap wood or scrap steel, stuff that's useless. You can't use it for anything. It's the scraps. And this is the image that Paul had in mind, that, that he's, God gave them over to a scrapped mind, a mind that's no longer useful with God's understanding, To do those things which are not proper. Verses 29 through 31, there's a long list of, man, I think in this whole section, there's something like 21 things that are identified or maybe more. I'm not going to define every one. Because I know that you all understand because you've all stood up and acknowledged. (laughs) That at least one of these things, if not that we've covered, you identify with. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. Sometimes we call these prayer requests. Slanderers. Just making that known. Hey, pastor, I need you to pray for something. It's like, oh, no. I'm all for praying, but just how you deliver it. Just make sure you're not gossiping. slanderers, haters of God. I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to expand on anyone, but this one hit me real hard, so I had to expand on it. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. This huge list from from homosexuality, across the board to like being disobedient to parents. Like it's not, none of these is on parade to say one's worse or better than the other. They all are bad. In the middle of verse 32, it says such things are worthy of death. Verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And I read that, that hearty approval, and I ask myself, what things do I endorse? You can endorse things without actually endorsing it. Like me and FullX, carpet cleaner. Like I will endorse carpet cleaner. When it comes to the AeroPress coffee maker, I'll endorse that. There are things that I will, I hope that one day, my bucket list, is that I can be in an infomercial where I like give the, i approve this coffee maker (laughs) but there are other times by the things we sort of laugh at or the things that we don't address that we give approval to there are many things in this list that as a parent i i hear it over and over and over again oh it's just being a teenager and i say that now not having a teenager i understand that because everybody with teenagers say, oh, you just wait. No. <laughs> I understand that. But at the same time, I, I want to train my children and understand that our sin is serious. Just because you're going through hormonal change, changes doesn't excuse you to be a jerk. Doesn't it, God views it the same. It's sin. All right. See you guys next week. how, how, how do you land a message like this and my answer is that we the big picture the reason paul's writing is because he's not ashamed of the gospel that in the midst of this that jesus came he died to make payment for all of these sins so that we might have a relationship with god the reason he did this is because he loves us as we follow this thread out He's going to land his issue on the sinfulness of humanity in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which I guarantee you at least half of us can quote. (laughs) Can anybody tell me what Romans 3, 24 says? Aha, no. Most of you, most of you would skip forward to the Romans Rome, Romans 5, 8. But the gift of God, which is close. So, Romans 3 23, Paul is making the case all of us, all that are in Adam, every single one of us that is a human being, including myself, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've missed the mark. My DNA's missed the mark. Personally, I've missed the mark. I'm a sinner. But then, verse 24 being justified as a gift. It doesn't say. If you're struggling with being disobedient to your parents, that you are, uh, you're evil, you're mean, you, you, whatever. Go fix yourself. Go, go pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Get yourself cleaned up and then come back to God and maybe he'll talk to you then. It's says gift. Gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. And it's not like a gift, like the reindeer tie. Well, actually, I want that. So um, I've been on a quest for a Christmas sweater for like 10 years now. But moving on, being justified as a gift, how? By his grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's God's grace. It's a gift to you through the redemption. This word redemption is to buy something back. It's the idea of a slave being on the block naked and shackled people coming by and making purchases to take that person back. But this idea of buying back his creation back to Genesis chapter two, the very end, when he looked at creation, it was very good. Sin entered the world and contaminated it. And through Christ on the cross, he's buying back his creation for those who want it. Through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly. For those of you that are going to Israel, you'll see the spot standing there looking at Golgotha, where you can see the school in the mountain. And I have always viewed this location as like, oh, it's a nice, beautiful, like serene place on the mountaintop. That's out there, the kind of like being on top of Palomar Mountain, because I love the mountains and it's so beautiful. But when you get there, and it's also a plug for those of you that aren't able to go on this trip, that when we go the next time, you should go. That leaving the gate from the city where he walked out, today it's a busy road. And it was a busy road then. There's like a bus stop there. And as people went along with all their daily lives, there stood a man naked on the cross, bleeding out for your sins. And everybody just walked by mocking him publicly. As a propitiation, this fancy theological word means satisfaction. That as he was dying, the wrath due your sin, God's wrath was satisfied in that. And that by believing in him, we would have life. Let me see. Propitiation is blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of God. He passed over the sins previously committed. The bottom line is we're all sinners. And you need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We're not only saved by grace, but as we get to Romans chapter 5, we're saved by grace and we stand in grace. We need to continue our lives in this grace. Don't go get saved by grace and then suddenly place yourself under the law. God loves you because he created you. God is doing the work. And so, Father, we come to you and we give you thanks for this day. Father, I just want to confess my own sin of self-righteousness. Lord, it's so easy to look out on the landscape of humanity and to see the sins of others. And Lord, we feel like we're little cops that you've given us a ticket book and we're supposed to be writing tickets. And so Father, I confess this, this spirit of legalism within my own heart. Father, I pray that you would help me and help us, Lord, to understand the, the gravity of our own sin. We sing that song that I'll never know how much it cost for you to die on the cross or something along those lines. And so, Father, as we come to know you as a loving God, one who cares about us intimately. Father, we pray that your love would abound in our own lives, in my own life. Father, help us to see things through your eyes. Father, give us wisdom as we navigate this life, Lord, as we are in relationships with people, Lord, that don't know you. Father, help us to, to balance in wisdom, Lord, love and truth. We need your spirit to guide us. We do love you, Lord. We thank you for this day, and we pray that you would um, guide us as we go from here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.